from app.com, it's time to talk college hoops in the Garden State. Welcome to Jersey Jump Shot. That's right, it's time for Jersey Jump Shot. We're talking college hoops in the Garden State. Happy New Year. Welcome to 2022. Ryan Ross here with Steve Edelson, Jerry Carino, Chris Eisman. I guess you could say our first official episode of Season 3. If you missed our special episode that took place in December, especially if you're a Seton Hall and Rutgers fan, go back and listen to that. We were previewing that big rivalry game. We had some great interviews for that episode. So if you missed it, go take a listen. Of course, a lot has happened since then. Well, Seton Hall, they beat Rutgers in that game. Rutgers took down a number one team. And then, of course, COVID has begun to make its impact once again on the college basketball season. Uh, An unfortunate aspect of this season looks like it's uh, once again popping up. There's a lot of different angles in regards to that, and we're going to spend some time on that at the top of the show. Jerry, Steve, Chris, welcome back for another season of Jersey Jump Shot. And Jerry, we'll begin with you because unfortunately there's a lot of different angles when it comes to COVID once again impacting all of sports, but here in college basketball as well with cancellations, rescheduling, fan restrictions, just evaluating teams. There's so many different directions you can go with this. But here we are once again talking about COVID impact in college basketball. Yeah, I mean, there was most of the college basketball slate's been canceled the last couple weeks since we last did a show. Uh, it's just it's lording over everything right now, Ryan. I mean, you have mass amounts of cancellations and postponements. You have hair-pulling disagreements over how to reschedule these games. You have teams playing shorthanded, skewing results. How do you evaluate these teams? You have major restrictions on fans entering arenas that are are and are going to impact games. So the virus has turned college basketball upside down again for the third straight year. But what's different this year is we know that the vast majority of these COVID cases, especially for people college age, there's going to be no symptoms or very minor symptoms. So what is all the fuss about? Why are we turning everything on its head? You know, there's players on these teams, Seton Hall, Mammoth, who are sitting at home, asymptomatic. Rutgers had it too when they paused. These guys are out there shooting around. But the, yet these games are being canceled and teams are playing shorthanded. So it's nuts. And the problem you see in college sports, as opposed to the NFL or NBA, is there's no one in charge. The NBA and the NFL have a commissioner. They say, this is what we're doing, and they do it. In college, there's 350 Division I teams. There's 30-plus conferences. There's conference commissioners. There's college presidents. It's a mess. It's a mess. And so there's a lot to wade through here. But, like, we can just talk about our local teams. Seton Hall, right off the bat, has had its season turned upside down by COVID and the red tape of regulations involved. And there's a competitive balance issue as well, as you've mentioned, Jerry, too. I mean, you look at some of the pro leagues, and it's you wonder, what is the cutoff? How many COVID cases is too many COVID cases? And you see teams either get postponements, they get a chance to play later, while other teams say, well, good luck, have at it, and they play shorthanded and that's not fair to them either so it's like you're saying you need someone to make a definitive decision on what the cutoff is because it is affecting competitions affecting schedules it's affecting fan involvement as well but there does need to be a decision uh steve i'm curious to get your thoughts on just everything that's been going on the last few weeks with this this new variant and all the uh cancellations in college basketball 
Well, it's like deja vu. We're, we're back to where we were a year ago at this time. And I don't think anyone saw it coming like this. And right now, COVID is the great unknown for every team. And particularly for teams with championship aspirations, this is what could derail your season right here. You know, in terms of, you know, how does your team come back from it? You know, how do they do once you get everybody back on the court? How much ground do you lose? Uh, it could hurt in seedings for teams that are looking for to really make their mark in March Madness. You know, Seton Hall, uh, quite honestly, as I look at Seton Hall coming through this, I think Seton Hall could even come out of this stronger, honestly. I thought they have played two good games with seven guys against top 25 teams who – you know, let's face it, they could have won either one of those games. Um, if they were full strength, they win both those games. So this is this is the impact of COVID right now on teams, particularly good teams. Um, it's, it's here, and it, it's going to be a factor in this season. Let's take Seton Hall's case. Let's just look into Seton Hall's case first, and then we can talk about Monmouth and Rutgers because they've all dealt with this. But Seton Hall has played with eight eligible players, a seven-man rotation, half the team has been out. They were missing half the coaching staff. And so how do you evaluate Seton Hall? Like how – they're 0-2 in the Big East right now, but they're not really 0-2. Like how do you evaluate that? I mean, you have to throw traditional ways of looking at things out the window. And that's why this week I set off a national debate by, by criticizing Ken Palm, which is a sacred cow among all the analytics nerds in college basketball. Well, you know what? Ken Palm – and they, what they tell me is, oh, it's Ken Palm has a 20-year record of success. Well, that goes out the window now right. because Ken Palm doesn't account for the incredible amount of unprecedented human element impacting these games. There's no metric for taking the floor with seven guys, with two right. rotation guys out, with half this coaching staff out. Well, and again, this is a lot of what we said last year. Same thing. It's got to be the eyeball test this year. You got to really look at a team and evaluate what you're seeing on the court, who you're seeing on the court. And that has to be the biggest factor of all this year. But there's Listen, and this isn't going away either. I mean, this is not, you know, this is not going to end in a week or two. I mean, there's a very good chance that we are in a very similar spot, you know, going into the conference tournaments in March. I mean, if you listen to the epidemiologists on TV, and I'm not going to pretend to be one right now, but if you listen to them, it sounds like, you know, maybe the country will hit a peak soon and then, but it's still going to continue to go, you know, into late in the season. So, you know, this isn't going to change anytime soon. So they got to figure something out. Right. The difference between this year and the years past is that we know more and the power brokers now in college basketball have an ability to change, to adjust the rules to help get these games in. The CDC lowers the quarantine period to from 10 to 5 days. That should be a game changer. And as we speak, you know, the Big East hasn't adjusted yet. I think they will within the next day or two. I don't know if it'll be down to 5, but they'll bring it down to 10 soon. But, you know, those adjustments have to be made. And you know, the the testing of, of of asymptomatic players of players with no with no symptoms. Why are we doing this? So like these things have to be reconsidered if we're going to actually have a season. And also, it's not just we want to play basketball. If we're going to live a normal life, if we're going to put kids in school, if we're going to carry on as a society, you know, we have to we have to move forward with these things. So sports is like a flashpoint for that. And I want to also mention how this is going to impact impact teams fans in the arena. We can get into this with Rutgers in a bit, but you know you now have to show you starting on the tenth at Seton Hall, the Rock, and already in place at Rutgers and Monmouth, I believe, is you have to show vaccination status 
to get in or proof of a negative test, which is pretty much impossible right now to get a PCR test within 72 hours. So you have to show basically proof of vaccination to get in. And you have to wear a mask while you're there. This is going to impact, absolutely impact attendance. Now, Seton Hall, Villanova, they had 13,000 people there. So it really did not impact their attendance. They did not have a vaccination card policy in place yet. And we'll see how that changes the game. But it did. The mask wearing, you know, majority of the crowd wore their masks. It did muffle the sound. It wasn't as loud as the crowd was against Rutgers in Texas. And, you know, I'm curious to see how this impacts Rutgers on Tuesday. They have a vaccination entry policy or negative test against Michigan. And also at Rutgers, what I observed from being there is most of the fans wore their masks. It's going to muffle the sound and it could well drive down turnout for this big game Tuesday. Jerry, did you hear anything about, uh, you know, problems getting in? I mean, did, did people get in with all the new requirements fairly easily or? Yeah, they had no problem getting in, but no one was there. I mean, no one no one showed up to to Maine and Central Connecticut State. So, like, if they have six, seven, eight thousand people trying to get in for Michigan Tuesday, then we'll really get an idea of if the lines are long. The lines were a couple people deep, but when you triple the size of the crowd, that's going to be the real litmus test on that. Unfortunately, I think this is something that we'll be talking about in, in upcoming episodes as this continues to evolve, and we'll see how it continues to impact the the season. Here we are in January, and it's already made quite an impact, not just in college basketball, as I've said, but really across the entire sports landscape. I mean, we had no NHL for, what, a week or two at one point, uh, NBA signing guys that were retired off the streets just to get some bodies on the bench. We've seen some NFL games take place on Tuesday nights because of COVID. Uh, so, of course, this is something that's going to continue to happen, unfortunately, and it's going to be something that we continue to talk about here on Jersey Jump Shot. As I said, this is the first kind of official episode of our third season, so we will be coming to you every Monday throughout the rest of the college basketball season. So let's take a closer look at some of the teams that we will be talking about, of course, a lot on this show. And as we've mentioned, Seton Hall, they've been dealing with some COVID issues. They're 9-3 and three overall. Uh, they were ranked 15th after uh, well, last week. They do have two losses to number 21 Providence, number 22 Villanova. As we said, the Pirates are playing shorthanded in those games. They have Butler coming up on Tuesday and UConn on Saturday. Butler 8-4, and four, UConn 10-3. and three. Uh, Jerry, I know we mentioned the COVID issues for the Pirates, but just the outlook for Seton Hall as they have these two games coming up this week. So the bigger issue for the Pirates is when do they get the whole team back? You know, I expect them to have more players back for the game at Butler Tuesday. It Maybe not the whole team. Again, we got to see what happens with the Big East and the quarantine rules. I do expect them to have everybody back for the UConn game. Saturday, UConn's been on a pause. Dan Hurley's had COVID. So uh, a lot of moving pieces. The big question for Seton Hall is, look, they're playing well. They're a good team. They're playing pretty well. They're really tough, playing good D still through this shorthanded stretch. The big question is, you know, how long does it take for everybody to get back in a groove? I mean, they're not practicing. You know, they went they went two weeks without, without practicing at all. And even now they're doing skeleton practices. They don't have enough players to go five on five. Uh, Kevin Willard doesn't want to doesn't want to practice. He doesn't want to wear these guys out. He's playing his big guys 37, 38 minutes a night, which is a huge number. So it's going to take a couple weeks for Seton Hall to get through all this. Plus, they had some guys who who had symptoms. It wasn't, not everybody was asymptomatic. And so there's going to be a recovery period. It knocks the wind out of you if you've had COVID, if you've had symptoms. So even though these guys are young and healthy, there is a getting the legs back aspect to this. There is getting a groove back aspect to this. And it's going to take time. So I, I do expect Seton Hall to go at least one and one this week. I just can't see them 
dropping both games and dropping to 0-4. They're too good. They should have a favorable matchup at Butler, even shorthanded. And against UConn, I do expect with a big crowd and a full team for them to play really well. Remember, UConn's coming off a layoff, and they have injured and, and sick guys. Who knows how they're gonna, what kind of team they're going to trot out there. So it's it's a fool's errand, right, to predict anything right now. But I do see Seton Hall starting to turn the corner. The key thing is people have to be patient, and it's not going to happen overnight. And the folks who, who are analyzing NCAA tournament possibilities have to grasp that. And these two games coming up, too, I mean, UConn, they've spent some time in the top 25. But as you just said, Jerry, how do you evaluate a team? I mean, you have two losses uh, for Seton Hall this past week. Uh, I don't know where they'll end up in the top 25 after that, because how they'll still be they'll still be ranked. They'll still be ranked. But then, I mean, like you're saying, too, you know, at this point in the season, it's impossible to know, you know, really what any team is with all these pauses, with all these cancellations, with players out. Where do you see the Pirates right now? I mean, if you were to project them for the rest of the season, uh, I mean, we're obviously, I think, talking a tournament team, but it's it's hard to tell when yeah, I mean, so much tw- uncertainty is going on. I, I'm just going to have to default to what they were. Like, they're still a tournament team. They're still a team that could win the Big East. Mm-hmm. I don't know what else to say other than that. I mean, I don't, you know, it's, 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 it's a fool's errand to predict, but I, I don't think much has changed for them except they have two losses that I don't think really matter that much. And that's what stinks. Like how, how do wins and losses not, not matter that much? Like that's not sports, but that's all you can really say about a team in this situation right now. And Steve, I mean, these wins and losses in, in a season, you almost have to have an asterisk next to some of them. You mean, you look at Seton Hall, two losses, but you put an asterisk next to that based on players missing. And then it's very possible for a team to, to get a win and you have an asterisk next to that based on the competition's availability and their COVID issues. So it's, it's as we've been saying, it's just hard to really judge a team at this point. Well, the last time I saw Seton Hall at full strength, they honestly looked like a team that could advance in the NCAA tournament. The defense against Rutgers was spectacular on that night. And, you know, you've seen that at points from them this season. You know, they've got some big wins. And um, I think that's how you have to look at at Seton Hall right now and say, look, let's assume they get back healthy and get everybody together and get back on that track. I think that's how you look at Seton Hall. Same at Rutgers. Um, you know, they've had a, they had a pause, you know, they've had issues, but what we've seen of Rutgers is a team that needs some work, you know, and I think that's who Rutgers is. Um, and I think you have to kind of look at what a team was and assume they're going to get back to where they were at some point this season. Seton Hall's net, it just came out. Seton Hall's net is 28. So they're still in very good shape. Yeah. And let's talk about this Rutgers team as well, Chris, because as we've said, just like every other team, they've had their issues. They had some issues with wins and losses before COVID started to really make its impact on the season. The Scarlet Knights are seven and five overall. Here we are talking about two wins over Maine and Central Connecticut. Michigan coming up seven and five on Tuesday, Nebraska six and eight on Saturday. Uh, All things considered, two winnable games, but of course it depends on who's there, who's at full strength, and and, and what's going on in the world with – for these Scarlet Knights coming up. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, you know, we've already seen Rutgers get that big win over Purdue and, you know, that's going to, you know, help, you know, make up for one of those tough losses, especially against Lafayette. But, you know, Rutgers definitely has a lot of work to do to put itself in good standing, you know, for, for the NCAA tournament picture. And, you know, the big 10 offers that up op- that, that opportunity, you know, for you to pick up some, some good wins. Um, and, and that starts now, you know, they're, they're, these past two games against Maine and central Connecticut state were almost like preseason games, you know, after the long layoffs, it was just two opportunities to kind of get tuned back up again for the, for the gauntlet of this schedule and this big 10 schedule. Um, but they have to play, you know, at a level that 
I think has been kind of inconsistent. You know, they have to play at their best and, and they've been up and down, but you know, they have too much work to do to, to start falling off at this point. So, you know, like I said, they just got a lot of work to do, but uh, you know, there's definitely chances to, to kind of help, help, uh, you know, fix their resume. Their net is 141. I mean, there's a, they have to pull an inside straight. There is a ton to do when your net's 141. Now it starts against Michigan, but Michigan's not very good. You know, Michigan's seven and five. They've looked like crap. They're um, staggering. Yeah. I mean, and they've, Rutgers has never beaten Michigan. Michigan's 14 and 0 against them, but this is a golden opportunity. Michigan's net is 43. So it would be a quad two win, which if you're Rutgers, you take it. You know, you take it. And I think Rutgers is a very good chance to win this game. The Rutgers has its full team. Everybody's back. They had the COVID pause hit at the right time, unlike Seton Hall, which came back against two ranked teams. Rutgers came back against two cupcakes. So it really worked out kind of well for them. I think it sets up well for them. The questions for Rutgers, the real question, the two questions for Rutgers are, are they going to get an absolutely desperate Michigan team that's going to pull out all the stops? You know how these things work in college basketball. Um, or, and could that be problematic for them? Or is Rutgers going to have the full rack or Jersey Mike's effect? Are they going to have a full building? I don't know if they will. I think they will. They should based on Seton Hall's turnout. But again, they're having a vax check. I don't know. Rutgers is a different community. You know, I don't know. If they have a full rack and, and you know, Michigan is still playing poorly, Rutgers should win this game. But who knows? <laughs> so, a lot of moving pieces. <laughs> I think that's going to be the answer for a lot of these discussions for the next couple of weeks. Who knows? I don't know. Nobody knows, but that's why they play the games. That's why they will hopefully play the games if we don't have any uh, cancellations or pauses. But uh, Steve, I'm curious to get your thoughts on the Scarlet Knights, because as you said, when Seton Hall's at full strength, we know what they are and they are a good team. We're still trying to figure out exactly what Rutgers is. They have some holes to fill. What have you seen from the Scarlet Knights when they are at full strength? Well, you know what? I think when you have guys like Ron Harper Jr. and Geo Baker and, and you know, Cliff has played well inside. There are some pieces in place where you can say, I think Rutgers can be really competitive in the Big Ten. Now, what does that mean? You know, they're picked eighth. Can they do much better than eighth? I mean, even if they did a little bit better than that, is that going to be enough? Probably not. So, you know, I think I think you're going to have to see over the next few weeks some real steady improvement from this team. And listen, I, there's a they played a soft schedule. I think their Ken Palm. I looked this morning was 225 on strength of schedule. You know, and they're five and they're seven and five. I mean, they're going to the, the competition is going to be so much steeper right now. You know, but Steve Peichel, let's face it, we've seen he's a good coach. Uh, can he get these guys where they need to be? I'm not sure, but we'll see. We'll certainly see Rutgers again. They have Michigan and Nebraska coming up this week. And if you're new to Jersey Jump Shot, we talk mid-majors as well. Princeton, they're 10-3. and three. They have Columbia coming up Friday and then a tough one against Cornell on Saturday. Monmouth, they're 10-3 and three as well. Siena on Friday and Iona, the first-place team, on Sunday. Uh, Steve, you've been following this Monmouth team. They've, of course, like everyone else, have had their COVID issues as well. 
What have you seen out of Mammoth this season so far? Well, speaking of COVID, it could not have come at a worse time for Mammoth. They're off to the uh, best start in program history. You know, as of the New Year break, they had the most road wins of any team in the country. They have two high major wins, eight non-conference wins, playing really well. The team, the makeup of the team is really good and certainly good to potentially make a run in the MAC. And now they're down. You know, they, they had a game canceled last week against Marist. They're supposed to play Siena on Friday. That's in doubt. And then the game that's been circled on everyone's calendar, January 9th, next Sunday, Iona, Rick Pitino comes to West Long Branch for the first time for what everyone expects to be a first place showdown. Um, we'll see if that happens. You know, a lot of that will depend on what the MAC does in terms of their quarantine rules. Right now, they're 10 days. Uh, they're they got to bring that local. down, Steve. They got to yeah. drop that. Yeah. So I think within the next few days, they, they clearly are looking at it. Uh, their commissioner, Rich Enser, uh, talked about having to check with some local officials on some of this state and local officials. So they're certainly moving in that direction. How quickly that happens, we will see. And that could be key for Monmouth in terms of getting back on the court. But, you know, again, it comes at a terrible time. Monmouth, you know, Shavar Reynolds, not only on the court, but, you know, the intangibles he has brought to this team. And, you know, Walker Miller, their 6'11 center, a transfer from North Carolina. He's averaging 15 points and seven rebounds against some really good competition. Monmouth played a tough non-conference schedule. So there's a lot of pieces in place uh, if Monmouth can get back and, like everybody else, get healthy and, and get moving again. I also want to mention, it's important to note, like the leagues, the leagues are going to have to reschedule these games and that's going to be hairy because like last year, a lot of these leagues built in time because they knew there were going to be a lot of cancellations. Schedules were done loosely. That's not the case this year. These games have to be jammed in. Kevin Willard has already erupted, you know, been critically erupted with the Big East for the way they've rescheduled his two canceled games. A lot of coaches think the same way. They might not say it, but they're thinking the same way. And let me tell you, I'm hearing a lot of rumblings. I'm not going to name names, but I'm hearing a lot of rumblings about gamesmanship going on. You know, leagues are not – they're not requiring teams to show proof of their COVID, COVID protocol ill. You know, COVID protocol players are just giving them a number. So there's gamesmanship going on. A team is missing its best player, or maybe the coach is sick, and they're saying we have eight sick guys, and they don't. So there's rumblings of that. So there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff going on. Like that Mammoth Iota game. I mean, is that going to get rescheduled? When's it going to get rescheduled for? Does Rick Pitino just get to pick that date because he's all powerful? Does King Rice really want to play that game coming off a, a two you know a two week break with no practice? There's a lot going on there. Yeah, and, and I I think I think it, like let's take Mammoth for instance. If Mammoth loses that Iona game, now they've got three games they've got to somehow squeeze in. As, and as you said, Jerry, there's no they left no gaps for these games, um, so it it's going to be tough. And as you said, it, there's going to be a lot of friction between schools trying to find dates to to put these games in. And it's a fairness thing. As, as we said at the top of the show, it's a fairness thing. I mean, if Mammoth does have three games to make up, do you go in order? Do you rank which game you would rather make up? Obviously, they want their shot at Iona. That's the team ahead of them in the standings right now. But when's the right time to play that game? Do you play it in the middle of the week when you have two more coming up on the weekend? When's it a fair time to play? Uh, so that's, again, something we'll, we're going to have to monitor and something that we'll be talking about Quite a lot on this show. Princeton's off to a great start. I think they yeah. got a real chance to win the Ivy League. Steve saw them in person, right, Steve? Pretty pretty good team. 
Yeah, they're a good team. And, you know, Mammoth played very well that night. But for the first uh, probably 18 minutes of that game, Princeton really took it to Mammoth on their home court. Uh, so, you, you know. Yeah, we got to watch Princeton, keep an eye on them. Once Ivy League play gets rolling, they're going to be a team to watch for sure. Um, you know, they got some really good shooters. I mean, they shoot the eyes out of the ball. So, so that's something to watch. All right. Uh, NJIT, much better than we thought. NJIT six and five. They're one and oh, uh, in the America East. And they've, they've played, you know, they played Rutgers tough. They took St. John's to overtime. They went out to Northwestern. So this team's pretty battle tested. So I like what I've seen from NJIT so far. They're better than I thought. They could be a factor in the America East. And then, uh, I want to mention St. Peter's because there were a lot of high hopes for St. Peter's this year. And, you know, they're off to kind of a rough start, three and six overall. Obviously, they've played a lot of tough games out of conference. They're one and one in the league. But here's the thing about St. Peter's. They've had one, two, three, four straight games canceled or postponed because of COVID, none of which was on their end. So it's a it's a real problem. I mean, how do you get into a rhythm like that? And that's a shame for a team that has championship aspirations. Yeah, so and, and where we're at. And and particularly for for St. Peter's, which is has some young guys, they're trying to get in there, and you know, so this is this is would have been a critical time uh, to get them on the court and and get them going. Yeah, we'll keep an eye, of course, on all these mid majors, and uh, just going back to Princeton, similar to Monmouth, they have their shot at the team next to them in the standings in the Ivy League, as I mentioned, Cornell uh, nine and three. They have them at home on Saturday. Knock on wood. All things take place this week, and we're able to see these teams on the court, and we're able to see them healthy. Uh, I don't want to have to spend every show talking about pauses and cancellations and all this stuff. Like everyone else, we just want to get back to normal. So hopefully, hopefully all these teams we talked about take the floor this week. They take the floor at full strength against opponents at full strength, and we're able to get back to normal hopefully that's our wish for for 2022 but either way we will be talking about college basketball in the garden state each and every week on jersey jump shot of course steve jerry and chris they're busy writing for northjersey.com and for app.com be sure to check out all of their coverage of college basketball on those platforms be sure to tell your friends if you like what you hear and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform for steve for jerry for chris I'm Ryan. Thank you for listening to Jersey Jump Shot. We'll talk to you next week. Jersey Jump Shot is a production of the Asbury Park Press and USA Today Network. Subscribe at app.com.